On the current issues and the Constitution show, Professor Wilson will encourage you to stay informed and read the U.S. Constitution. The show is intended to shine a light on current issues that impact your daily life. Professor Wilson has twice received the American History Teacher of the Year Award in the state of West Virginia and is the recipient of many honors. He served in the armed forces and is currently a college professor. He is a true patriot who believes the understanding of the Constitution is key to our future and our future freedoms rest with informed youth. Please join us live where you can ask questions or listen on your time. Just follow the show feed to receive the latest shows delivered right to you. Don't miss any of these informative episodes. Are you ready? Take out a copy of the U.S. Constitution, a notepad, and let's get ready to learn. Hi and welcome. My name is Felice Gerwitz and I am your moderator of the Current Issues in the Constitution show. And I wanted to let those of you that are uh, listening in the archives know that there are handouts. So if you want to uh, grab your handout, and that's where we put some of the links that are maybe shared in the chat room as well as some other pertinent information. Um, from you know show notes, uh, just visit us at currentissuesandtheconstitution.com, and you'll find that under this week's show. Well, on the line with me is um, our guest of honor, um, our presenter, Professor Wilson, and so uh, welcome. Thank you, Felice. I'm very pleased to be a guest of honor. That doesn't happen very often. <laughs> Um, before we get into uh, today's issue, uh, let's let's take a look at uh, what has happened in the last week since our last session. Uh, to begin with, in, in review, you'll remember that an accommodation was reached. The uh, bill actually came out of the Senate, and the House accepted it after several weeks of a stalemate on the federal budget and extending the debt limit. And they agreed, uh, as you recall, we talked about this last week, that the federal budget would be extended to January the 15th of 2014 and the debt limit uh, question to February February the 17th, I believe. Now, I might be wrong about that. It might be February the 7th. Okay, but that's down the road. Now, in the meantime, uh, 10 senators, um, Five Democrats, five Republicans will sit down with ten members of the House of Representatives, five of each, and these 20 people will hammer out a deal, hopefully, that both houses can accept on the federal budget in, uh, by January the 15th, and the president would have to accept it also because the Constitution uh, says basically any bill that will become law must pass both houses and be signed by the president. Now, Congress can override a, a presidential veto, but it's very difficult to do. And in this climate, with close majorities, uh, a close majority in the Senate and a, a still not a two-thirds majority of Republicans in the House, it would be virtually inconceivable that Congress could override a presidential veto. In fact, keep in mind, we talked about this two years ago, that throughout American history, only 2% of presidential vetoes have been overridden. In the other 98% of the cases, both houses of Congress together were not able to achieve that two-thirds majority required for the override. So that whatever deal is hammered out by January 15th, um, 
hopefully, and this is not predictable, it used to be predictable, hopefully the uh, president will get involved in this and become a part of the negotiations. And uh, the three of them together, the House, the Senate, and the president, can come to some sensible agreement and a budget that benefits America and the American people will finally come to pass. In the meantime, we're still, we're still on the old budget, which is a very high-spending budget. So that's not good news uh, for conservatives or for people who believe in limited government. All right. Uh, secondly, uh, the Affordable Care Act, as you doubtless know, because I just know in my heart that you are following current events religiously. You are spending at least an hour a day. So you know that the Affordable Care Act is has been mangled, its implementation, the website, and everybody's pointing fingers at everybody else. The president basically is, um, you know, like the three little monkeys, see no, hear no, speak no evil. Uh, he's basically trying to stand aside from the fray. Catherine Sibelius, the Secretary of the Department of Health and Human Services, seems to be getting the focus of media attention and fingers are pointed at her and perhaps she is the culprit. Um, difficult to say right now. Uh, Felice and I were talking about uh, Sibelius and her testimony today before the, uh, before the House of Representatives. And... Um, they, basically, these committees subpoena uh, members of the executive branch to come to a public hearing, and it is being televised. In fact, if it's not over, you might be able to get in on that uh, after this show. Uh, so she is um, answering questions tomorrow in the news. You'll get the highlights of the, of the pertinent questions that were asked and her responses. Now, from what it looks like right now and everything that I've seen and read, uh, she is not the person responsible for the chaos that is currently occurring. And, of course, this, um, this renews what um, Republicans in the House wanted in the first place, or rather in the second place. You remember in the first place they sent a, a bill uh, with a continuing resolution of the budget, but with the attachment that the Affordable Care Act be defunded. Uh, the Senate rejected that, so the House sent another continuing resolution, and this time they basically ask that the implementation of the Affordable Care Act be set aside for one year, just as President Obama did by executive order. I'm not sure he has the constitutional authority to do that, but he did it anyway, and he gave businesses a, a year, a year, one-year waiver. They don't have to participate in the Affordable Care Act. So conservatives have been asking all along, well, why would you do that for business and not for the American people? It's the American people that are, going, are getting hit hard. Uh, so nonetheless, um, that has been done. And now apparently several Democrats who previously voted against that House initiative are beginning to change their tune. And I was talking to my wife about this, and and she immediately said what a lot of people are thinking, that is there's an election coming up about a year from now. And um, it, one of the key issues in Senate races and House races in those districts is going to be 
what did you say, how did you vote on the Affordable Care Act, on the House resolution, on delaying, uh, where were you, the people are going to ask, back in the states and back in the districts. So a lot of Democrats in both the House and Senate seem to be changing their tune, and it could be, it could very well be, uh, that we're going to see a majority in both houses uh, line up to vote for a one-year waiver that is put it off the implementation of the Affordable Care Act, put it off for a year or for six months or Woody, I want to forever. jump in here really quick. Sure. Um, when they were doing the line of questioning, they did say, because um, I did listen to that today, the, the um the hearings, and uh, they did ask her, you know, you said there was going to be a full six months to sign up. Are you going to extend it because there have been all these website problems and, um, you know, it's only going to give people about four months if you get everything up and running because as we're taping this, we're at the end of October, and they promised that the site would be, you know, fully functional, hopefully at the end of November. And she said no, there would be no additional extension and that there are other ways to sign up um, by phone and things like that. So um, right. that was interesting that she was pretty <laughs> firm on that, um, not wanting to to give at all on that ground. So um, I thought that was, you know, a lot of her stances, you know, they were asking um, just yes or no, and she would just say no. <laughs> I think she wasn't. <laughs> and they did swear her in. Um, they did say it was a little bit different, even though um, because of her position, uh, you know, usually they don't have to be sworn in, but because of the nature of this uh, this line of questioning in this committee, um, like you said, that she was subpoenaed to come in, that they were swearing her in. Uh, so she was under oath. Right. Now, keep keep in mind that uh, she is basically responding to questions using a set of talking points that were agreed upon. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt that she spent many days and many hours with people from Obama's White House uh, lining up. It's like preparing a witness uh, to get on the stand during a trial, uh, uh, like a murder trial. It's exactly the same thing. So she has very, been very well prepped. And I wouldn't say she's like she's not a dupe. She's not a witness. She's a member of the uh, Democratic establishment in Washington, D.C. that very much wants to see ultimately a single-payer health care system. Uh, so what she is saying to that committee um, and how she is responding to their, request, to their questions is predetermined. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, and another thing is, you know, that I've been wondering about uh, in this regard, who is really in charge in the White House? Who really is uh, laying down the orders, putting together the talking points, uh, the response mode? Um, I'm beginning to think it's not so much the president. It might be a committee. It might be another individual. It might be a, a triumvirate of uh, three individuals. And these things are um, – we haven't seen so much of in the past. It's very, very difficult to to um, gauge what happens in a White House. 
because these things are done behind closed doors. Uh, they're not recorded. The media is not invited. We're not sure who participated in the decision-making. And in, th in this case, we don't know who sat down with Catherine Sibelius and lined out these talking points. But in this case, this has been so much in the news and has been so heightened in terms of the public discussion, the national discussion, that we're beginning to get little hints, uh, little bites of knowledge about where all of this stuff is coming from. Uh, usually we don't know until four or five years after a president has left office and somebody writes a book. Mm -hmm. uh, we're getting, but right. we're getting the lowdown now, and it's, um, it looks more and more like, um, and based on some other things that we will talk about, under foreign policy, it, it, it's beginning to look like the president is not very well informed, not very knowledgeable about what's going on in a lot of different cases. Now, the, you know, the right. Affordable Care Act, they tried to do that back in 1993. Bill Clinton was the president and his wife, Hillary, was chairman of the task force to establish universal health care. And they have been at this for ages and ages and ages. When we, will, when we talk about abortion, you will probably be very surprised at how long this has been an issue and how long the, this has been on the liberal agenda. So there are a lot of people right. in Washington, D.C. that are a part of that agenda, and they're not going to back off on their Affordable Care Act. I mean, that is a huge government put in the door a huge expansion of government power, and they're not going to back off. It's going to take an election to make any changes in this thing. Okay, Mike has a question here, and he said, um, what do you think about Kathleen Sebelius? Should she uh, be removed? I don't think so at this. I don't think so at this point. Um, I think a, a great deal of uh, research and investigation needs to happen before we start blaming somebody uh, or picking out a scapegoat. Uh, mm -hmm. She is not, I can't remember the lady's name. She just surfaced in the news yesterday. I think Valerie but, Jarrett, I think Tara just supplied it. She said Val, uh, she thinks Valerie Jarrett, J-A-R-R-E-T. Well, this, this um, is not the person I'm talking not. about. Okay. Uh, this right. lady um, was one of the directors in the Medicare System And she was asked to organize and supervise the implementation of the software for that website where people were supposedly uh, to be able to sign up rather easily. And I can't remember her name, but she has been questioned. She has made a statement. And it could be that she'll end up being the scapegoat. It could be there's nothing political at all. It's just a bug in the technology or a set of bugs in the technology, or tech, simply software that was very poorly done. It's really, really difficult to say right now, and uh, I am never yeah, one to rush to. I am never one to rush to judgment on things like this. Yeah, uh, the interesting thing to me because I've dealt with websites quite a bit, Woody, as you know. Um, it's it's been something I've been I've worked with developers with trying to develop ideas and things like that. And I've had some, as you know, Woody, some failed systems um, that just didn't work out that were 
just too huge or what I wanted to happen um, couldn't happen effectively. And uh, one of the things that they said here, which I found very, very interesting, um, was they had the contractors in last week who put the site together. But one of the things that surfaced that I'm sure had something to do with the problems, and that is that people were just signing up, going onto the site, and they were able to search to see what the rates were going to be without signing up. So it was kind of a last-minute, oh, no, we don't want people to do that. You have to sign up for you to find out any information. And so they changed some of the code then. Well, there's thousands of lines of code, and any time you try to change something, I mean, that's at the beginning of like an impl implementation um, type of thing. So it's just like saying, okay, well, we're taking the table of contents now and, and trading it out with the index. Well, you know, the index has a lot more uh, questions or, you know, places you can search rather than a table of contents, which just quickly gives you, you know, the, the chapter. And I'm sure that that really had something to do with it. And I think they were appalled because um, not enough places where people were signing up. And then the places where they said there were tons of sign-ups, they're finding out now is Medicare. And um, the best line of questioning to me was ones that said, okay, so what happens if the young and healthy don't sign up? Do you have a plan B? And there, there really wasn't a, a good answer to that. She didn't have a good answer. And that seems like something you would have at least have thought of um, if you are the federal government putting this together. You know, what if we don't have enough healthy people signing up for this plan because the way a pool works is you have to have healthy people to offset those that are ill. So it's going to be interesting. Like you said, we probably won't see anything, um, you know, till way down the road. But, um, you know, I think that's important. Right. Um, and I did read uh, just this morning uh, that they were talking, a uh, news reporter was talking about somebody in the White House, probably this lady whose name I'm not remembering, uh, from Medicare, was saying that they are adding new code. And and like you seem to suggest that doing so would require starting all over again. Is that right? Well, it, it what it did was it was going on a specific track and now you changed it. And that, that causes all kinds of headaches because they were saying, you know, before you could actually go to the website and, for example, if I wanted to see if I could do better than my normal health care plan, I could type in my age, where I live, you know, if I'm healthy, and then it would give me some some pricing. And they decided to change that ability and to say that you had to sign up for the site first. Once you signed up, then you could, you know, then find out that information. And, yeah, um, and um, you know, a, lot, so. a lot of things coming come out um, in, right. in this kind of situation where something is really magnified and the American people really are paying attention. Now, the American people don't usually pay much attention to what the government is doing, but when these cases arise um, – uh, it gets their focus, so both sides are mm -hmm. going to – I think you could say that Democrats are, are playing defense and uh, uh, Republicans are on the attack. And that, I think that was part of the re House Republican strategy in the first place when they sent the initial CR with the defunding of the Affordable Care Act attached. They wanted to bring it to the attention of the American people. They wanted it to become 
a very important part of the national discussion, and I think they won in that respect. In fact, we have found out uh, recently, as a matter of fact, uh, I found this out a couple of days ago, and this is the kind of stuff that just keeps coming out, so pay close attention to current events and, and get a load of how your government works. And a piece of history, too, here, the uh, controversy over the Affordable Care Act. But um, th they knew, they knew in 2010 that 70%, they estimated that as many as 70% of the American people could lose their health care insurance. They could lose their preferred health care, the one that they have now, 70%. Well, meanwhile, President Obama, and I guess he's going to claim deniability here. He'll claim that he knew nothing about it. President Obama is going out making speeches all over America, promoting the Affordable Care Act, putting pressure on members of Congress to pass it, and one of the things he constantly said was, you can keep your premium. You will not lose your premium. You will not lose your doctor. You will, um, average American family will experience a $2,500 decrease in their mm -hmm. monthly premium. All those things were not true, and they knew it in 2010. Yet the president went out saying those things anyway. So the question is, is he just uninformed? which is, you know, in other words, he's not the leader, somebody else is, or is he lying? And you don't want to call your president a liar. Uh, you don't want to go right. there. So, again, let's don't rush to judgment. Let's wait and see. And in regarding uh, to Tara's comment on Valerie Jarrett, I think Tara probably uh, was thinking that a very important part of the talking points committee for Sibelius and, and other people during times of crisis is Valerie Jarrett, a senior advisor to the president and somebody that wields an awful lot of influence in the White House. If any of you have ever okay. watched West Wing, don't ever get to the place where you simplify it in your mind that the president is the man, he is the executive, and everybody dances to his tune. He knows everything, he's calling all the shots, He's making all the decisions. That is just not true. There are a lot of people in the White House, uh, various advisors, heads of cabinet, that um, are participating in the creation of these decisions. And I think we're going to find out five or six or seven years from now that um, in terms of this cabal of decision makers in the White House, Barack Obama was a very weak player. I'm getting that sad. Yeah. It's, it's very sad. I mean, the big thing um, that they kept talking about um, during this uh, hearing was the four Pinocchios, which I had never even heard of before, that the Washington Post gave um, President Obama because of what he said, yeah. exactly what you just said, that no one yeah. would take away your health care plan. And and that was one of the, the things that they narrowed uh, Sebelius down on was that even if it changed a dollar, and she said, oh, no, 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 it had to change $5. Well, you know, rate increase. So basically that means we're all going all to lose our insurance. Um, I got something from my insurance company that said, you know, please keep us um, was one of the things I haven't heard yet. Um, right now, it is affordable. We like it. It's a very big deductible, but we're happy with what we're paying. 
which is well under $1,000 for a family of five, and we're all healthy. Um, the only thing, the kids get uh, routine um, wellness checks just to play sports. So, I mean, that, that's it. And uh, and so I, I don't know what that means for us, and we're looking at some other things like even um, some kind of, you know, Christian pool plan is what we're thinking if the rates skyrocket and we really can't afford uh, to pay anything over $1,000. So it it is really tough. But I know um, I'm not seeing any other questions here, and I know you wanted to move on um, outside of that. There was some clarification about how the website was set up, and I might have it wrong. So um, we're not going to get into, you know, the website and all of that stuff. And because um, there are some questions here about the NSA issue, and I know you wanted to get to that. So yes. do you want to discuss that now? Uh, let me uh, just say very briefly another big okay. um, uh, football has emerged. Harry, uh, Harry Reid, the majority leader of the Senate, announced uh, about three days ago that uh, there can't be any deal. He's talking about the conference committee. There cannot be any deal without a tax increase. So here is another uh, problem that's going to be in the, um, in the contest between Republicans and Democrats and in those conference committees. Now, typically, if there's, a, if there's a budget problem, a spending problem, Republicans want to cut government spending, Democrats want to raise taxes. Um, this president promised, um, although I'm, you can't believe a professional politician's promises. We know that, and we have, it doesn't matter if it's a Democrat or Republican, we've known that forever. Um, as a matter of fact, George Herbert Walker Bush during the campaign in 1988, made the famous statement, read my lips, no new taxes. Three years later, he signed a tax increase. Um, so it may be that uh, Obama will be uh, drug kicking and screaming to support uh, the tax increase, so the sides are going to line up and all of that, even though he promised during his initial campaign that there would never be a tax increase as long as he was president. He was very, um, very aggressive um, in that stance at the time. But here's Harry Reid, major player, majority leader of the Senate, saying there's going to be no deal without a tax increase. So he's throwing down the gauntlet to Republicans on that conference committee and to the majority uh, Republicans in the House of Representatives. So keep an eye on that one, too. And the last one um, that has not much is known here, the president denies that he knew anything about it. It's called the NSA spying scandal. Uh, the NSA is the National Security Agency, and the director of the National Security uh, Agency has an office in the White House as well as, as at the agency's building. And the NSA director, obviously, in these days of terrorism, and people like Iran and North Korea having or trying to get nuclear weapons, and what in the world are the Russians and the Chinese doing? Uh, they seem to want an adversarial relationship with us, China in the Pacific, Russia in the Middle East, those kinds of things. So the NSA's job, and they were created after World War II when the Cold War was beginning, essentially to keep an eye on the Russians, a national security agency. There's not much more important, anything much more important, maybe the rights of the people, than the security of this nation and of the people that herein reside, you and me and 310 million others. So the, we find out that the NSA, using satellite communications technology, not only did they 
grab the telephone numbers of millions of Americans, and if you own a cell phone, you, they might have your number, and they might be listening in for you to say keywords that make them think that maybe this is a criminal activity or especially they would be concerned about terrorist activity, bombings and shootings and so on and so forth. Well, that was appalling. Conservatives and liberals both joined together uh, to attack that. That's an intrusion of our privacy. That's a, a clear violation of the Fourth Amendment which basically gives us security in our homes, papers, effects, and those kinds of things. But now we find out, and this thing is, this is so bizarre, I can't begin to understand why the NSA has been spying on European leaders, leaders of European countries. These are allies. These are supposedly friends. And we went through the Cold War together. Uh, NATO, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, still exists with a military force. We're supposed to be on the same side, yet the United States of America is spying on them to get information, to get one-upmanship, to get an advantage in a I don't, trade negotiation. I don't know why they're doing this. I cannot conceive of this. Now, we have been spying on our enemies since George Washington. But spying on our friends, I have no knowledge that that has ever happened in our history. And, of course, the president denies knowing anything about it. That's kind of hard to believe. Uh, the national security director, James Clapper, would meet with the president four or five times a week. Uh, there, and something of, of that scale, something of that dimension, something that offensive and boy, the Europeans are angry. They are really angry. Something of, of, of that stature would surely be discussed by the national security director and the president. So wait. let's wait and see. And again, don't rush to judgment. What's going on here? Why? And who is behind this? Spying on the prime minister of Germany and Great Britain, Spain, France? You name it. It's bizarre. Okay? So those are some things that are in the news. Let's call them current events. And uh, we'll yeah, we, keep an eye on those We have some we questions here, Woody. So okay. let me let me get to those um, in regard to that. So um, one was exactly, you know, what do you think about it, um, about the spying? But it also said that they got, that they read somewhere that, uh, they were even listening in on the Vatican prior to the Pope's selection and may have tapped the Pope's line during the selection process. Now, I don't know where that information came from. but um, yeah, You know, I, I heard that, but uh, but I, I a lot of times uh, something like that will pop up, it will be discredited, it will disappear. Okay. And I, hadn't, I hadn't, had not heard any more about that, but I'm curious, um, and yeah, I would not be surprised. And, and and so the point of that question was to discuss whether or not the U.S. and our president had lost uh, too much credibility to sustain our position as a world power. Well, certainly we have lost credibility. The United States has lost credibility. We have basically given up our leadership role in the world. Um, 
which we kept basically since World War One. And yes, um, I think. Do we trust people out there? Have got to be saying, do we trust America? You know, we we sit here in our country, and we look out beyond our borders, and we look over at China, and we wonder about them. Uh, we look at the European Union, and we are interested in what they are doing. Uh, we look at the Russians and wonder what direction are they going to go in, and the Iranians. Uh, who are these people? Who are these terrorists? We study them. But, but what we never think about is those people are in their countries looking at us. They are studying us. Who are these Americans? What are these Americans? Uh, what do they believe in? Um, are they our friend? Are they our ally? Or should we fear the United States? They study us as we study them. And right now they're asking that question that the, the student's question addresses. Can we trust America? And unfortunately, because we have abdicated a role in the Middle East, for example, and because now we're spying on our friends as well as our enemies, uh, the answer is no. Right now, uh, you better hedge your bets about the United States. And um, I, I, just, I just cannot express my despair that mm-hmm. the United States has descended to this level and that we have given up. You know, this is a, a free Christian nation, and with separation of church and state, we don't discriminate against pe- people because of their race or their religious beliefs or their ethnicity. Uh, we stand for democracy and freedom and human rights and women's rights. And as long as we're the world leader, we can spread those wonderful things. But when we withdraw and assume a role as just another member of the global community, then other philosophies and principles and ideas about governance and about human rights will insert itself into the discussion. So it is really too bad for the world and for all those little boys and girls and those women out there that would have a chance uh, with America as a world leader, yeah, that was a very very good question. And yes, um, I do have a a link here um, that I will put in the handout from the Huffington Post that does talk about uh, the le- the leaks uh, or the yeah um, into the the Vatican and uh, and that they were also supposedly following Pope Francis. But well. Well, um, look at that, and I, I really do like Woody that you know you're you're pretty balanced in your answers, so that's good. And I really uh, like that you tell us that we need to really investigate this and not jump to conclusions because it really is a hot topic issue right now, and it makes people angry. You know, there's a lot of things right now that are angering people. Um, you know, and it it really. The one thing it boils down to, whether it's the NSA or the um, Not So Affordable Care Act that they want to yeah. call the Affordable Care yeah. Act, um, the, N- the it, NSACA, it, huh? Yeah, um, it, like is that. our rights. That's like the bottom that. line, isn't it? <laughs> that our rights are being threatened. Oh my goodness, yes. There's no, there's no question about that. Yeah. Pardon me. I said, I think that's what's so upsetting. You know, uh, when you boil everything down, it all is pointing back to our rights. 
Well, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about that, but essentially um, one of the uh, liberal beliefs that I, I think probably it hovers over all of the stuff that we've talked about so far in this course is that federal government action, federal government power is needed to solve all the problems, to make everybody happy and everybody equal and all those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um and we're seeing a great deal of that big government. And it's just a its a real shame that Congress can pass a law and the president can sign it, and the people that support it believe that they're going to be a lot better off, and then they find out they're a lot worse off, but it's too late. The law has been passed, and it's been signed by the president and upheld by the Supreme Court, and they're stuck with it. I mean, this law actually forces Americans to buy health insurance whether they want it or need it or not. It's, a, it's an amazing thing. And then all of the broken promises about how much better everything was going to be. Um, that's it, it is a shame that our government is, I suppose, for the time being, getting away with doing this to the American people. When the Constitution was written, the philosophy was, and everybody at the Constitutional Convention agreed, that the government's number one priority was to protect the rights of the American people. And now we take a look at it in 2013, it seems like it has been switched. The prevailing principle is that the government is right and the government has the power to do what needs to be done, to do what the government thinks needs to be done, not the people. Right, and, and, there, and there is another question here, and you did address it in another class, but um, another caller wants to know, uh, Dee asks, it seems to me that there's more than enough to impeach Obama. You know, why hasn't that happened? And you did address that in another class, but go ahead and and give us your short answer to that because I know there's a lot you want to cover, and we're going to have to take a commercial after you answer that question. You know, when um, when Republicans in the House of Representatives impeached Bill Clinton, um, they really, truly made a big mistake. It was backfired. It was a backlash. Uh, the polls, the American people were not at all happy with that. They called it frivolous. It wasn't important. Uh, sexual dalliance in the uh, White House, um, and those kinds of things. And the, the truth is, the House of Representatives can impeach Barack Obama, but they're already behind in the polls on this budget and uh, debt limit uh, issue. They're already behind. If they impeach Barack Obama, they know uh, that he is not going to be convicted by the Senate, uh, just like Bill Clinton was not convicted by the Senate because the Senate is controlled by Democrats, fellow Democrats, to Barack Obama, and they mm-hmm. will vote politically, as they always have, and uh, basically in impeachment contests or threats of impeachment contest. So Republicans right now are better off to wait. See what happens in the next election, if they have any support for it. And, and you know, we impeach presidents. As a matter of fact, let's all take a look in the Constitution so you'll know exactly what we're talking about. Look at Artic- Go to the end of Article 2 and see if you can find it before I can. I found it. Did you find it before me? Section 4. 
the very last section of Article 2. Okay, let's read this together. The President, Vice President, and all civil officers of the United States shall be removed from office on impeachment for and conviction of treason, bribery, or other high crimes and misdemeanors. And I think we can pick out a few things, especially executive orders that go beyond the pale. Richard Nixon really uh, took a lot of criticism for that, for making executive orders instead of asking Congress uh, for permission to do something. Uh, for example, Congress would pass a budget bill and Nixon would take the parts of the budget bill he didn't like and he would impound the money and put it in the bank and didn't spend it. He didn't carry out the law. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's uh, you know, it's clearly his job to carry out the law, which is also in Article 2. Uh, so right. w- that there have been four or five executive orders. I don't remember what all of them were that um, basically, oh, like, for example, the Affordable Care Act says this is what's going to happen on October 1st and so on. Well, the president stands up and says not for businesses. He can't do that. Only Congress can do that. He should ask Congress to grant that waiver to businesses. He should not make that decision himself. And that is an impeachable offense. But is it? Uh, does it rise? It's definitely not a high crime. It could be considered a misdemeanor. And you're never going to remove a president from office for a misdemeanor. But if you can put a series of them together and, you know, he can lie to the American people all he wants to, that is not impeachable. That's a that's a that's an honor, honor problem, an honesty and honor problem. But it certainly is not impeachable because it doesn't come under the Constitution's uh, mandate here for treason, bribery, high crimes, or misdemeanors. But -hmm. nonetheless, there is enough um, in the first, what, five, five and a half years of the Obama administration to uh, begin to consider and put together a list of impeachment charges. But I don't, right now in this political atmosphere, and again, uh, the Democratic Party's control of the Senate, as well as the White House, I don't see them doing that right away okay yeah and and there aren't a lot of straight answers and there's a comment here in the chat room that you know that there's so much that's getting pushed on us um that you know while we shouldn't rush to judgment there's still a lot that we need to consider and and definitely we are there's there's a ton of stuff that uh you know, like they're not letting Benghazi die and, and a bunch of other stuff, which is good. We need to get to the bottom of these things that just seems so so slow and long. Well, Woody, we're going to uh, take a quick break here, and then we'll be back and continue on. Okay. The American Government and Elections class is a remarkable look at the workings of the U.S. government, the election process, and how the Constitution sets the stage for the democracy that we enjoy today. This video series contains 32 hours of class recorded with a live audience taught by accredited AP and award-winning professor of American history, Robert Woodrow Wilson. This class is sure to energize your students with a love of learning. The classes are on demand on your time to view from the comfort of your own home. Created specifically for the high school level homeschooler, This AP-level class can be enjoyed by students of all ages. Recorded and produced by Media Angels, a name you trust for quality products. 
Need more information? No problem. Go to MediaAngels.com and visit our class link. Or go to AmericanHistoryKidsClass.com and get ready to claim your seat. Hurry, because class is starting. Hi, and welcome back. My name is Felice Gerwitz, and I am the moderator of the current Issues and the Constitution Show. And today with me um, on the line, Professor Wilson is our presenter and uh, the knowledgeable one out of the two of us because I uh, learn something every time I listen. Um, so I, I appreciate it. So you're going to uh, discuss some other um, things that are, have been going on as well. And, you know, you wanted to hit some of the key points um, that you'll be taking one or two of these um each time we get together other than, uh, you know, current events, which is what we've been talking about, and you wanted to delve into some of the uh, issues and uh, go into some of those. So, uh, Woody, I'll let you take it away and, and, uh, you know, catch us up on some of these things. I I think we have enough time left today uh, basically to make an introduction uh, to issues. And and essentially an an issue – is that which divides conservatives from liberals, and then you get some polyglots in between, like libertarians, populists, and things like that. But but the thing is that I really want to get across to you, and I've often said this, I said this for many years to my students, and I'll say it to you. If you have an an opinion, if you have a political opinion um, in America, if you have a social opinion in America, you are right. If you believe that uh, abortion is a good thing, you're right. If you think it's a bad thing, you're right. That that is what you must have in a democratic society. And I think it's also important, and I think in the current uh, climate of partisanship, I think we have lost it. We need to respect each other's point of view. We need to be able to sit down quietly and talk and listen uh, with people that don't necessarily agree with us. I mean, you can't, when you get into that mentality that uh, that your opinion is here, this is my opinion, and anybody disagrees is wrong, you're getting into Nazi stuff. That's what the German Nazis did. Uh, they were so rabid and radical about it, they murdered six million Jews based on that outlook and that attitude. So try to stay away from that. Now, I am a conservative. I think you probably know that by now. But I have some very good friends that are not conservative. In fact, they're liberal or they're libertarian. We never argue. We don't hate each other. We don't screech at one another. In fact, we change each other's minds sometimes. Uh, We listen to each other. Those kinds of things. Um, and you, you probably also know that I don't have a really strong, a great deal of admiration for the federal bureaucracies. Here in my neighborhood, there are five families and maybe a sixth one moving in of people who work for the Bureau of Public Debt, a huge government bureaucracy, and they're good friends of mine. They're my neighbors, all right? So because I don't approve of – they don't approve of what they're doing either. But nonetheless, we'll get into that later as an issue. So conservative liberal beliefs. Now, a second thing that you maybe you've never thought of is that, that conservatives and liberals agree. 
on what the problems are. We agree on a great deal, as a matter of fact. Conservatives and liberals both essentially want the same things in life. We, we want to be free. We would love to have economic opportunity um, and you know, the chance for prosperity. We don't like poverty. We don't like racism. We would like to, you know, there are people in America that are suffering, and we would like to see something done about that. We want healthy children. We want affordable health care. We'd like to have domestic tranquility, which translates to crime-free streets. So we agree on what the issues are. The disagreement is on how to deal with those issues. How do you take care of poverty? How do you get more and more people out of poverty? How do you, do, how do you reduce the number of people, the number of little boys and little girls that are growing up in desperate poverty? How do you reduce that? How do you address it? Well, let's take a look at it. Liberals believe in, like I said before, in big government action, federal government, to achieve equal opportunity, equality for all, dealing with poverty, dealing with race, racism. They believe that it takes the federal government to do that. Conservatives believe in limited government. The less government, the better. I think Henry David Thoreau said it the best when he said that that government is best which governs least. Ronald Reagan echoed that in the in inaugural address when he said, uh, government is not the solution to our problems. Government is the problem. All right, so here we disagree. How, how, how are we going to attack poverty? Um, Liberals would say more government, more entitlements, more welfare, more Medicaid, more health care, more of all those things, uh, more affirmative action, get more blacks into and Hispanics and others into uh, high-paying job positions. The government needs to do that, and conservatives say, no, the government cannot do that because you get into reverse discrimination. What the government ought to do is back off, let the free market create jobs, and uh, let's spend our money uh, helping people to get education, to get skills, to learn how to drive a bulldozer for crying out loud, and help get them into the workforce. And then you don't need the entitlement programs. And, and this person now has self-esteem and uh, self-credibility. Uh, so the, we agree on what the problem is. We agree, disagree on how to, how to go about it. So while liberals believe in big federal government action, conservatives believe in personal responsibility. It's your job to take care of you and your family. They believe in limited government. In fact, that was the, um, that was the Constitutional Convention umbrella. That's what it really was all about. That was the guiding principle. How do we create a government that can do its job but at the same time be limited and protect the rights of the people? So while liberals want more government, conservatives want limited government. And where liberals believe in strong federal action in the economy, conservatives believe in the free market, laissez-faire, that principle that we talked about a couple of years ago, maybe last year, government, stay out of it. Keep your hands off. Regulate. Make sure nobody's cheating. Make sure the food and drugs are not going to cause us harm, but stay out of it. Don't choke it to death. Don't tax it to death. Allow the free market to do its thing. It, it, along with the Christian church and the Constitution, made America a great nation. 
So don't mess it up. Conservatives also believe in individual liberty as opposed to collective. Uh, traditional American values, strong national defense. Democrats always want to cut the military and put the money into entitlements, and Republicans always want to keep a strong military because we live in a dangerous world. Liberals believe it's the duty of uh, the government to alleviate social ills, take care of social problems, and to protect civil liberties and individual and human rights. Okay, that sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Let me repeat that. It's the government's job to protect civil liberties, and I think uh, conservatives largely agree on that, and individual and human rights. That's the government's job, not to tell us we have to buy health care. Conservatives believe the role of government should be provide people the freedom necessary to pursue their own goals. Uh, liberals want, seem to want everybody to go in a particular direction, like the Affordable Care Act. Conservatives want people to have the freedom to decide what their goals in life are going to be. Liberals, uh, liberal policies generally emphasize the need for the government to solve problems. Conservative policies generally emphasize empowerment of the individual to solve his or her own problems. So when we get into this, uh, let's remember that we do all agree on what the issues are. We disagree on how they should be solved. Liberals believe that we should put the power in the federal government. I was wondering, remember that bridge that collapsed in Wisconsin uh, three, four, five years ago, um, and I remember um, some reporter was quizzing people in the streets about it, and this one woman up in Wisconsin said, well, I think the federal government should do something about it. Okay, that's a particularly liberal point of view. This, this bridge was built by the state of Wisconsin. The federal government had nothing to do with it, but this American, this nameless American in the streets, had the point of view that the federal government should take care of all of our problems for us and um, make everything okay. Well, conservatives don't believe that at all. A lot of the things that are being operated um, by the federal government, Medicare, Medicaid, uh, welfare, the Affordable Care Act, Social Security, all of those things, uh, liberals believe that it is the proper role of the government to do that. And it begins with the New Deal in 1932. Conservatives believe that all of those programs, although I didn't hear them talking about it, all those programs belong to the states um, under the Tenth Amendment. Let's take another quick look at that. If you will turn to Amendment 10, I think we talked about it last week, but I really want to see this uh, burned into your minds. Amendment 10, the power is not delegated to the United States, that's the federal government, by the Constitution, nor prohibited by it, the Constitution, to the states, are reserved to the states, respectively, or to the people. So questions about uh, health care and, and other social problems and dealing with poverty, the federal government, education, the federal government should not be spending one dime of the taxpayers' money on any of those things. Those powers belong to the states, and back in the days when, before the federal government got their foot and then their leg and their whole body in the door of these issues. These were handled in the states, largely in the communities, in the towns, in the cities, in the neighborhoods, on the school boards, and those, those kinds of things. 
churches were heavily involved in dealing with poverty, as were private charities. But we've allowed the government to usurp all that, and it's uh, not not the same thing. It's not people pursuing their goals. It's the government pursuing its goal. Now, another thing you're going to hear and see in the media quite a bit are the terms left and right. Uh, liberals left uh, are to the left, and conservatives are to the right. And this basically defines opposite ends of a political spectrum. Now, in the United States, uh, liberals are referred to the left or left wing. Conservatives are referred to as the right or right wing. Now, when you hear people yelling radical or extremist, um, those are people you don't want to listen to. They are just purely playing a political game. If they say right wing or left wing, that's okay. If they say extremist, right wing extremist, left wing extremist, left wing, left wing radicals, then that's um, that's basically going off the fair and objective objective discussion map. If you see a political map, uh, blue is the color of the Democratic Party, and red represents the Republican Party. So we have conservatives, liberals, we have left and right, we have red and blue. And a lot of times people in the media will simply say the blue states, uh, referring to states that uh, gave their electoral votes to Barack Obama, for example. So when we go through these uh, issues, and there are 22 that, uh, that we've selected so far, we're going to look at the conservative position, we're going to look at the liberal position, we're going to try to be objective, we're going to try to understand. Some of you may be liberal. Try to understand what the conservatives are saying. Some of you may be conservative. Try to understand what the liberals are saying. Uh, there are excellent arguments on both sides of every issue. There are strong and compelling uh, arguments on both sides of every issue, and that's why it's an issue. And please remember this great nation, this great, free, democratic nation, whatever we believe politically, well, that's our right. That is our right to have that belief and pursue that goal without any interference from anybody, including the government. So please keep that in mind as we go through these issues. Thank you for your wonderful questions. Once again, I always look forward to that. And um, we'll see you again next Wednesday. Yeah, very good. I just want to read a comment, and this is actually from one of the moms uh, that posted it in the chat room, but it's a very good comment. She said, hasn't our public education been teaching our offspring to think along the lines of government being the caretaker of the people? I've seen the American history books even 16 years ago for the eighth grader. The content was um, horrible and greatly edited out the care, the care uh, edited out, but the Chapter questions weren't changed to fit the chapter content. I know kids of many military veterans who hate this country because of what they've been taught, and that's very sad. Yeah, there is a, uh, more and more of that. It began in the 1960s with the counterculture movement and uh, continues today. And there are, you know, I think uh, it's difficult to characterize this, but in 1960, when John Kennedy was president, um, everybody in America was conservative, essentially. In fact, I just uh, saw a new book that's out called uh, JFK, The Last Conservative. Uh, with the 1960s, we get the development of this counterculture, and I saw it happen. I was in college at the time. Mm -hmm. I was back from Vietnam, and I was in college. And I, 
I heard these people, they, and it was anti-America, anti-tradition, anti-everything, um, hate America, blame America. And I watched that develop and grow. And liberals are basically, in a way, they attack, they're not attacking America because they're Americans or two. They're uh, attacking what America has always been. And, you know, you've got, you, you've got to look at it. America was a racist country. We had Jim Crow laws. We had uh, segregation. Uh, women had very few rights at all in 1900. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a, just right. a lot of things that liberals rejected and changed. They changed it. In many ways, they made it a better country. But the point is, they are the ones that are pursuing change. They are the ones that have to get into an attack mode, and they have an agenda. And part of that agenda is to win the hearts and minds of the nation's youth. Conservatives are outraged with that, and that question that you just read, um, I, I think, does a very good job of summing it up. Conservatives are people that want the federal government to get out. They want the state government to back off. They want to decide what's going on in their schools and what's to be taught in their schools. That basically is a conservative view as the conservatives fight back. But, uh, yes, um, liberalism and liberal beliefs about federal government, our good friends, the federal government, um, has really... Uh, intruded into the conversation and into the curriculum that we have in the public schools. And it's one of the reasons that so many people and a growing number of people are homeschooling their children or putting them in a private school, particularly a private religious school. Mm-hmm. So it's a battle. Yeah, and, it's an issue and one yeah. that we'll talk about. And, and a plug, too, is that uh, when uh, – Woody taught the American history and American government class. You did not recommend a textbook, but you did recommend um, primary sources as well as many biographies. And so uh, you were very well aware of this, even though um, you've spent the majority of your life in in the institution teaching and you currently are a, a college professor. But you are very aware of, you know, what we call revisionist history. <laughs> Oh, yeah. uh, you know, so that's Goodness. one of the reasons you always, you know, re, you know, encourage the kids to look at primary sources. Yeah, I guess when you come come right down to it, that that's where real history is. I I did not use a textbook at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, we studied real history. We studied speeches. We studied documents. We started, studied photographs and paintings, and all kinds of other materials, diaries, journals from the 19th century or whatever, and um, we studied real history, put it that way. And when you study real history and real America, you find some really wonderful things. You find some really wonderful people. And um, to study uh, the 20th Amendment to the Constitution, it's just, it's not about politics. It's, It's about the Constitution. It's about real people, real events, and the things that basically evolved through a timeline sort of thing to make America what it is or what it was. And one of those things that we find in history is the emergence of liberalism. I think you probably look at 1917 and say the creation of the uh, American Civil Liberties Union. Uh, You might use that as the beginning of a timeline uh, towards the liberalism that we're seeing today in the Senate, especially in in the White House of the United States. 
and many other places too. Keep your eyes and ears open and be objective and um, get a real strong sense of this agenda of theirs. Very good. And, and the book that uh, I really want to see Woody write is on American exceptionalism because uh, if there ever was a time that we needed it, Woody, you know, let's put some pride back into our country because it seems very sad with all that we're hearing today, you know, that we've lost credibility and all kinds of other things uh, because of what's happening. So I'm yes. reminding you of that. It's <laughs> a book I want to see. Oh gosh. Well, thank you so much for your time and uh we'll we'll see you next week. All right. Thank you. Thanks so much for joining us for this episode of The Current Issues in the Constitution. If you'd like to join us live, visit our show page on ultimatehomeschoolradionetwork.com. And for more information about Professor Wilson's classes, visit americanhistorykidsclass.com. See you next week.